0: Welcome to Christ City Church. Uh, Thank you for being with us, whether you're in person or joining us online. Uh, We know it can often be really challenging to visit a new church community, so we wanna say welcome, and we honor your courage and your presence with us today. Um, Thank you. Again, my name is Samuara Boydston. I serve as one of the elders here at Christ City Church, and it's my great pleasure, again, to welcome you. Uh, We're also pleased to continue our Advent series with the Women of Advent. This Sunday marks the second Sunday of Advent and the second installment of our sermon series on the women of Advent. In this series, we're exploring the five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus as listed in Matthew's Gospel. And today, we'll learn about Rahab, the second woman listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, please note before I read this Bible passage, uh, a content warning that both the scripture and the sermon this morning are going to contain mature themes and language and may not be suitable for young children. So if you would please stand, as you're able this morning, to reverence the reading of God's Word. And today's reading is from Joshua 2. Joshua, nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shatim. He said, Go, look over the land, especially Jericho. They set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. Someone told the king of Jericho, men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house because they have come to spy on the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Then she said, of course the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry, chase them. You might catch up with them." But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof. The men from Jericho chased after them in the direction of the Jordan up to the fords. As soon as those chasing them went out, the gate was shut behind them. Before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Reed Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We have also heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. We heard this and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now I have been loyal to you. So pledge to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal loyally with me and my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers and sisters along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. The men said to her, we swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. So she lowered the spies on a rope through the window. Her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she lived inside the wall. Then she said to them, go toward the highlands so that those chasing you don't run into you. Hide there for three days until those chasing you return then you may go on your way the men said to her we won't be responsible for the pledge you made us swear unless when we come into the land you tie this red woven cord in the window through which you lowered us gather your father your mother your brothers and your whole family into the house with you those who go outside the doors of your house and into the street will only have themselves to blame for their own deaths we won't be responsible If anyone lays a hand on those who are with you in the house, we will take the blame for their death. But if you reveal our mission, we won't be responsible for this pledge you made us swear. She said, these things will happen just like you said. She sent them away and they went off. Then she tied the red cord in the window. Church, this is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you give it to us to learn more about you, to learn more about your promises, your kingdom, God, and thank you that we get to learn in community. And God, the community includes the Holy Spirit. So Spirit, I invite you this morning to show us what you have to teach us about Rahab, about joy, about Christ, God, so that we may leave here better understanding you, better understanding how we are to walk in the Spirit, God, and that we may live well in this, not just this Advent season, but God, understanding better what you have for us because your Spirit is leading this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City and um, thank you for being with us, those who are gathered here in minor and those who are gathered in living rooms uh, or wherever you are around DC, around the country, around the world, those who are tuning in. Uh, I'm grateful to be here with you this, first, this second Sunday uh, um, of Advent, this first Sunday of December, <clears throat> just 20 days until Christmas and less than four weeks until 2022. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it felt like 2020 dragged by and 2021 was gone in the blink of an eye. Um, a word uh, to follow up on our Advent offering, uh, you just saw the video promo, and as we move through this Advent season, I want to invite all of you to consider uh, giving to the Advent offering. Not everyone can give the same amount, but, but we can all do something, and this offering is is intended to be one way as we give above and beyond what we would normally give to Christ City. Uh, to support these two uh, causes, normally we give to organizations that are outside of us, and these two are a little bit closer to home, um, and that felt felt right for us as we were discerning and in prayer about where, where to give our Advent offering this year. Uh, you can give online on our website already. Uh, you can find the Advent offering in the drop-down menu or in the weeks ahead. You'll find o- envelopes where you can give by check or cash as well. Um, we'll run this offering through the month of December and then we'll close it at the end of the year. So please be in prayer about what you can, uh, how you can give to support families in this this Advent season. Uh, This week I had a a conversation that reminded me about origin stories, origin stories, and how important origin stories are, Uh, how important it is to know where you came from, because that can tell you something about who you are. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of, of comic book superheroes. I love learning about their origin stories, how they came to be who they are. Uh, Superman, a refugee from another world. Batman, whose childhood trauma motivated him to fight crime, although sometimes I wonder if he could have spent his money a little bit more productively. But origin stories are important, and they're interesting, especially when we get to see how someone else got to be who and how and where and what they are. But for ourselves, for our own origin stories, for our own understanding of where we came from, that can be a bit harder to unpack. Uh, It can take a bit longer to unfold. Often we don't understand the depths of those origins for a long time. I could tell you the basic facts of my family. Uh, Many of you know them already. I'm the youngest of three boys. My dad is a New Testament scholar. My mom used to be a teacher. Both my brothers and I are all pastors now. My family lives all over the world, Hong Kong, Australia, California, and here in D.C. We love each other very much even though we don't see each other very much. But as I get older, I'm seeing more of my parents in myself, okay? Especially in the last few years since I've become a a parent myself, I see my parents in how I parent, uh, the good and the bad. I see my parents in how I communicate and how I navigate conflict, particularly in my marriage. I see the same inclination toward low-key celebrations of events, if at all. Uh, the same shrug of the shoulders around gift-giving, which I have to actively work on because my wife is a gift-giver and a gift-receiver. <laughs> I also see how my parents laid the foundations of my faith. They were the first Christians in their families. They charted a new course of spirituality for myself, and for my brothers, and now for our kids. See, origin stories are as much about what gets continued as about what gets discontinued. What new thing is started, what new tradition, what new culture, what new direction is set. This season, we, we're, uh, the series that we're in this season is called The Women of Advent. We're exploring the five women named in the genealogy of Jesus that's listed in Matthew's Gospel. See, Jesus' origin story is one we typically tell at Christmas, at least aspects of it. His mother Mary's encounter with God and her beautiful response, his father Joseph's honorable decision to commit himself to this family even in questionable and difficult circumstances, the journey to Bethlehem on a donkey, a pregnant unmarried teenager and her husband-to-be, no room to be found, so when the baby is born he's placed in an animal's feeding trough. There are visits by lowly shepherds and by wise wise magi. There's the flight to Egypt as refugees on the run from a homicidal king. Those are the basics. But another thing about origin stories is that they often go back farther than we want to explore or give credit sometimes. Uh, Some of you I'm sure know your family history back to when they arrived on these shores, or were, were brought to these shores, or when others' ancestors arrived on these shores. Uh, I personally don't know much about my, uh, anything beyond my grandparents, uh, most of whom had passed away before I was born, uh, but I have often wondered. Here at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, we, we're introduced to Jesus' origins, and they go back past his parents, Joseph and Mary, back through generations, back through centuries, Uh, uh, through exiles, through royalty, through wandering nomads, all the way back to Abraham. And as Watson mentioned last week, this genealogy, unlike most genealogies of that day and age, includes several women. Matthew, the gospel writer, included these women for a reason. And over the course of this Advent season, we hope to get to know these four mothers of Jesus better so that we might better understand where Jesus came from and what that might mean for us. So last week, we learned about Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah and the mother of his children. We learned about her bold and righteous actions in the face of oppression and marginalization and injustice. We learned that despite the way she is often labeled and often shunned in our discomfort, she is Tamar the Just, Tamar the Righteous. Last week we heard about Tamar who dressed up as a prostitute in order to enact justice for her and her family. This week we turn to the story of Rahab, who is a prostitute, who was a prostitute. That's what the text tells us. Actually, Rahab is mentioned in three books in the Bible. Joshua in the Old Testament, and then Hebrews and James in the New Testament. And in each setting she is described as Rahab the prostitute. Which is, first, an easy way to identify her and differentiate her from Rahab, the mythological chaos monster that you find in Job, in case you didn't know that, it's in there. But second, it's also a lazy byproduct of patriarchy. Because how often do you hear Abraham described as the man who pretended his wife was his sister twice to save his own skin? or David as the man who took someone else's wife for his own. Now, what I'm getting at is not that we should give these men the same one-dimensional treatment that women get, but that we should instead proffer the same nuance, the same effort to understand, the same graciousness, the same ability to hold multiple truths and narratives about a single person and do that as much for women in Scripture as we do, indeed, as the writers of Scripture do for men. And while we're at it, let's be aware of our own inclinations today to one-dimensionalize others. But that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> Sam read the beginning of Rahab's story in Joshua 2 for us. A quick scene setting. This, this takes place several hundred years after the events of Tamar and Judah. At this point, the Israelites have been led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They've seen miracles, divine interventions, victories and defeats, and Moses has passed away. He's handed on the mantle of leadership to his protege, Joshua. For it is Joshua who will lead the people of Israel into the land of Israel. Now, I know there will be, there are questions about the Israelites displacing and invading and wiping out the Canaanites and God's role in that and how bad could the Canaanites really be and, and much more. And that is a good and important conversation to be had is not what I'm going to do today, just so you know. Uh, actually, the Bible Project has a, has a really helpful look into this precise topic and I'll post the link to that in the, in the sermon notes for you to read later. But at the beginning of Joshua 2, the Israelites are encamped east of the Jordan River at the edge of the Promised Land. And the text says, Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim. He said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. They set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. Now, you should know that in the Hebrew, as in the English, the linguistic ambiguity and the euphemism and the inference are all there. I think in some Sunday school lessons, Rahab is referred to as an innkeeper, and that is not what she was. She was a prostitute. That was her occupation. And so now we know from Israel's perspective, she was a triple outsider. She was a woman, she was a Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. But what kind of prostitute? We don't know uh, whether she was a brothel owner, or a woman working her own business, or a woman who had been forced to make money for someone else. We don't know how she became a prostitute, whether she was sold by her parents, whether she was a destitute widow, whether she had to provide for her family. Womanist theologian Will Gaffney preached a word on Rahab a few years ago. I found her sermon during my research and was just tempted to play it for you, Um, but instead we'll just share some of her wisdom and insight. She says, the brothers came to Rahab's house to lay down, but she is the one who is known as a whore. Even today, men who buy sex, even from underage girls, are less likely to be punished than women who sell sex. And girls who are coerced into selling sex are more likely to be treated as criminals than victims. One thing that hasn't changed from the Iron Age to our age is that there are women who sell sex of their own free will, and there are women and girls and men and boys who have been sold into selling themselves. It can be hard to tell the difference. Prostitution and trafficking go together. Even among those who are adults and say that they have chosen their lives as they are, there are stories of abuse and abduction and abandonment raising the question, who would they have been without the evil done to them? What I'm trying to say here is, we don't know Rahab's origin story. We don't know Rahab's origin story. But you should know that she has one, even if you don't know it. Okay? Rahab has one, even if you don't know it. Anyway, the spies, these chosen emissaries, I'm sure Joshua picked his best, these chosen emissaries of God's anointed leader, Joshua, they, put it bluntly, they're not good at their job. Because they not only don't do what Joshua told them to do, they are seen not doing it. Someone spots them entering Rahab's house. They alert the king of Jericho. The king sends word to Rahab to hand over the spies. She doesn't do it. Instead, she hides them on her roof. She lies to her own king, and she sends the men from Jericho on a wild goose chase, and only afterwards do we discover why. Verse 9, she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Reed Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We have also heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. We heard this and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now I've been loyal to you. So pledge to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. Word had reached the walls of Jericho about this people advancing toward them who seemed to have God on their side. If the Israelites could overcome Sihon and Og, two kings of vicious repute, what chance would Jericho have? If the God of Israel parted the seas before them, what chance would Jericho have? The reality of mortality focuses Rahab, as it should for all of us. I'm reminded of the words of poet Mary Oliver, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Only in Rahab's situation, you can add the element of impending doom to up the ante a little bit. She puts all her chips in with the Israelites. She bets that the God who has gotten them this far will remain faithful to them. And she extracts a promise of protection from the spies, that her life will be spared when they take the city. But it is not just for herself. She says, spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, along with everything they own. In the words of Will Gaffney, how many of you know that when you move to freedom, you have a holy obligation to take somebody with you? When you move to freedom, you have a holy obligation to take somebody with you. We don't know how her family looked at her, how they treated her. We don't know if they spoke to her or if they shunned her. We don't know if they had sold her to a pimp as a child. We don't know her relationship with her father and mother and brothers and sisters, but she does right by them. She seeks their good. She does what she can. And there is a deep and convicting lesson there that even in tough times, and we are in the midst of some pretty tough times right now, there is always the opportunity To bring others with us on the journey to freedom and liberation and safety. There's always the opportunity to do good to others. There's always the opportunity to think of more than just ourselves. I wonder what that looks like in your context. What does it mean for you to bring somebody with you? Uh, In my earlier years, uh, that would have been an invitation to evangelism or at least praying for my friends or family that didn't know Jesus. And, And I do still long that all would come to know the love and life of Jesus because I do believe that it changes everything for the better. But I've also come to understand the breadth and the depth, the expansiveness of the good news, the practicality of the gospel. And so sometimes that looks like walking with people along the road to life and liberation of mind or of spirit, in relationship or ideology, and sometimes just in providing for tangible, immediate needs. Rahab acts to save herself and her family, but her motivation, as revealed in the middle of that discourse to the spies, is absolutely stunning. She says this, Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below what would have been considered an orthodox statement to an Israelite spoken by an outsider, by a woman, by a prostitute. The spies would have been floored. This is not at all what they expected when they went off mission. Here's a woman, likely a social outcast, even in her own town because of her profession, who believes because she has heard what God has done. She believes. She has faith. She acts accordingly. As I have said before, and I will say again, faith and belief are not just intellectual assent. They're not just agreeing to something in your head. Faith is what you trust in, and what you trust in is proven by what you do. What you trust in is proven by how you act. In the words of James, the brother of Jesus, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And a few verses later, James says, a person is shown to be righteous through faithful actions And not through faith alone, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous when she received the messengers as her guests and then sent them on by another road? That was her action. As the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. Rahab was shown to be righteous, according to James. And that same concept that is applied to Tamar, as we heard last week, And it is on account of her faith and her faithful action. She is listed in Hebrews 11 as well. Among the heroes of faith, by faith, Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. She took action. Tamar, the foremother of Jesus, is Tamar the just, the one who points to the justice and righteousness of God. And I would submit to you that Rahab, the foremother of Jesus, is Rahab the faithful. The one who shows us what faith looks like. Faith is not passive. Faith is persistent. Faith is persevering. Faith pushes through. Faith presses on. Faith pursues life, and not just for oneself, but for those around us. And more importantly, Rahab the faithful points us to the God who is faithful. She puts her faith In the God of welcome, in the God of goodness, in the God who saves. Rahab put her faith in the God who is faithful and true. She acts as if and acted as if this God was faithful and true. She put her life on the line, didn't she? She hid spies. She lied to her king. She covered for, for the enemy. If she had been discovered in her treason, we can only imagine what would have happened to her. But it's not for another four chapters between Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. It's not for another four chapters that we find out what happened. Four long chapters. Because sometimes we have to wait for our deliverance to come. Sometimes we have to wait longer than we would like for God to show up. Sometimes we have to wait for liberation. We do all we can. We act as faithfully as we can, and still we have to wait on the Lord. And we all know, in the words of one of my son's favorite books, waiting is not easy. (laughs) But the timing of the God who is faithful is right. The timing of the God who is faithful is right. In Joshua 6, the walls come tumbling down, the city is one, and in the aftermath, it says the young men who had been spies went and brought Rahab out along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and everyone related to her. They brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside Israel's camp. A couple verses later, Joshua let Rahab the prostitute live, her family, and everyone related to her. And so her family still lives among Israel today because she hid the spies whom Joshua had sent to scout out Jericho. She and her whole family are saved because of her righteous and faithful actions. What's interesting is that in in verse 23, she and her family are allowed to stay outside Israel's camp, which was the place for, well, outsiders. A couple verses later, the writer says her family lives among Israel to this day. Somewhere between those two verses, somewhere along the way, this outsider was brought in. And in Matthew 1, we learn that she married a man of Israel named Salmon, gave birth to a son. And, And when this boy Boaz grew up, he met another foreign woman, just like his mother, a woman named Ruth. And we'll hear more about her next week. But suffice it to say, Boaz was a pillar in his community. Not a bad word is mentioned about Boaz's mama in the book of Ruth. Not a hint of sneering or snideness at who she was in a previous life. Rahab the faithful was more than just a prostitute. She became the foremother of at least 15 kings, according to Matthew. And Jewish tradition holds that the prophets Huldah and Jeremiah also came from her line. The baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was also part of this heritage of faith. Jesus Christ. Son of Rahab, who would grow up and be known as a friend of prostitutes and sinners. Who would grow up to offer the welcome of God, the liberation of God, the salvation of God to all he encountered in his life and by his death. And here's the thing we celebrate at Christmas. Even Jesus' birth was a sign that this God was about good news for all people. Even Jesus' birth was a cosmic event, the arrival of God as a human being into human history. Just as salvation came in the form of two thirsty spies to Rahab's house, (laughs) salvation in the person of Jesus came to us. Flesh and blood. Moved into our neighborhood, became poor, Became a baby. Origin stories matter, but sometimes it takes us a while to see them, to discover them, to know them, to understand them, to claim them for ourselves. If we commit ourselves to Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus, Scripture tells us that we are adopted into the family of God, the household of God, and into the lineage of those who likewise put their faith in God, like Rahab the Faithful. This morning, I want to leave you with two things to consider from the story of Rahab. We all come to Scripture as we are, not as we would like to be, uh, nor even as our neighbor does. And so what God says to you from this story may be different from what is imprinted on someone else's heart and mind. What God asks of you as a response of faith may be different, too. It's okay. You be faithful with what God gives you. First, They are welcome. They are welcome. There's a temptation, especially when we consider ourselves in, or we think we've got it, or just when we encounter someone different or someone we disagree with, there's a temptation to become gatekeepers, to set constraints on who God can save, who God can use, who God comes to, speaks to, works in and works through, because they may not fit our paradigms or our sensibilities about who God invites. The story of Rahab teaches us that the welcome and inclusiveness of God may scandalize us, may stretch us, may make us uncomfortable. Origin stories matter. Everyone has one, even if we don't know it. And God's welcome applies regardless. May we allow our love to expand to emulate God's love. The second thing is, you are welcome you are welcome often the temptation to gatekeeper reflects our own insecurities our own struggle to accept that god loves us and welcomes us as we are and so hear this god's welcome applies to you regardless of your origin story no matter what you've done No matter what you've had done to you no matter where you've come from or where you're going or if you think you're on your back spinning your wheels going nowhere no matter what others have said about you or may say about you uh, uh, no matter who might question your place and i know that imposter syndrome is a familiar fellow for those of us here in dc that voice that says you don't belong that voice that that says if others knew the truth about you you'd be done for What Rahab's story reminds us of is that there is always a divine welcome waiting for us. God's salvation and liberation is at your doorstep if you would only respond. And so, unclench your fists. Loosen your shoulders. Receive the love of God. And sit with that transforming yet also uncomfortable truth long enough to let it permeate the deepest parts of you. The faithful God, God of heaven above and earth below, to use Rahab's words, the God in whom Rahab put her faith, that, that is the God we meet in the baby Jesus at Christmas time. That God lives among us still today. May we, like Rahab, step into the welcome and liberation of God this Advent and always.